Holly Ann Martin is the Managing Director for Safer Kids. She is passionate about keeping kids safe both in the real world and online. The primary goal for her podcast is to provide awareness for the safety of kids and your well-being. If any of the content in this podcast raises concerns or questions for you, please talk to a trusted family member, a friend, or consult a professional for additional support. to the Safer Kids podcast with your host, Holly Ann Martin. Hi everyone, Holly from Safer Kids here and it's my absolute pleasure to bring to you somebody that I've been watching quite closely since I came across his stuff um, through a, another um, contact Feather. We were involved with a, a, con a conference from India of all places and Feather introduced me to Ed and um, I've been watching his stuff both on his YouTube channel and um, Facebook and so I've reached out to him to interview him. So Ed, thank you for agreeing to have a chat with me. Oh yeah, I'm uh, excited to be here and thanks for inviting me. Thank you. I'm just blown away when, when you spoke at the conference, you just spoke so openly and honestly about your experience um, as a child. Um, so can you share your story with us? Actually, you know, it's, it's funny. I have just as many fantastic, great, and thankful uh, memories growing up as I do the horrible, disastrous things. Uh, my uh, my parents had uh, marital problems uh, while I was, my, my sister and I were young. I have one sibling. She's a year and a half older than me. And uh, we grew up on a, on a lake, basically, in, uh, in uh, Northwestern British Columbia, Canada. So we were used to being a family that were close. We worked hard together, we played together and um, they were social drinkers and partied on the weekends. And my sister and I played together and, and it was an amazing time to grow up. Got to have our own snowmobiles and motorcycles and we did everything together as a family. The behind the scenes was um, my dad was sexually abused by his uh, grandfather, not, not grandfather, by his stepdad. And uh, this man also sexually abused my dad's brothers and sister as well. And what ended up happening was my, my parents believed and thought that uh, he wasn't doing that anymore because it had been so many years since he had uh, abused my, my father. So my grandmother and my, my uh, step-grandfather uh, used to babysit my sister and I when we were, oh my goodness, um, four, five, six, seven years old. And back in those days, it was, it was, it was different than today. And, and, and my mom and dad, they really believed that he would, he would never do this again because it had been, you know, a couple of decades anyway that they at least knew of. And he seemed like a nice, wonderful man as most pedophiles do. But what ended up happening was when it was time for my afternoon nap, he would come into my room and he would begin molesting me and he would begin to do the classic grooming techniques that pedophiles do. Uh, it's just between you and I, it's a secret. And, you know, the amazing and interesting thing about being abused that young, looking back on it, is that, you know, I, I relate to the boys that were, uh, you know, allegedly abused by Michael Jackson. Um, I, I believe them, is that you don't, you don't, you don't know that you're being abused and yeah. you, 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 you are not sexually awakened that early, early on. And so 
it's 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 strange looking back and trying to retrace my thoughts at that time. But it was something that happened on a regular basis, and I ended up looking forward to it and definitely didn't understand it. And I'll never remember, I'm sorry, I'll never forget the first time my parents came home and asked how my day went. And I don't know how often I was abused when they asked me this question, but it was after some time. And they asked me how, how did my day went. And I just remember that, oh, this is a secret. And it's just between me and grandpa. And of course, this is just flashing through your head in a, in a second, right? And I just said, oh, it was great. Right? And I, I'll, I'll never forget having that moment of, I'm not telling the truth, right? I'm keeping a secret. And, and you know, as an educator in this field, the impact of that yeah. and the power of, of, of a pedophile grooming somebody like this to gain their trust. So that happened, that started when I was around age four and continued until I was around age seven. Um, we uh, moved and then our next door neighbors uh, were my, my uh, parents' best friends. Um, the, uh, my dad, one of my dad's groomsmen in his uh, wedding uh, party was, uh, or was, was living next door. That was who they were. Uh, and he had, um, I think it was his, I think it was his younger brother and he was around 16 years old and he had polio, which was interesting. So he couldn't walk. And, uh, he ended up sexually abusing me as well. And, and, uh, so I was around eight years old and, and. It was, um, again, uh, grooming. And I don't think, you know, he didn't know what grooming was, but he gained my trust. And now I'd already been uh, abused already from a young age for three or four years. So this seemed kind of, it wasn't foreign to me. And, but it was always weird, right? It was always weird because it was something to not tell anyone. That, and then that happened several times over the course of a year. And then when I ended up going to elementary school, when I was in grade four and five, my uh, grade four and five teacher was also a pedophile. And this was the really the icing on the cake for me because now, uh, you know, here I'm grade four and five and uh, this guy was uh, a known pedophile. He abused many of my uh, uh, friends in my classes. I would say, you know, he, he, if he had his way, he would have abused all of us. But, but some of them did not respond to his grooming. So I would say, you know, at least 75% of the boys that uh, I was with. And then he continued to do this over the course of at least five years into other other grades and other classes and other boys. And I'm only guessing here, but it's got, it's got to be somewhere around 80 or 100 boys that this guy abused. One of my uh, one of my best childhood friends I grew up with who lived on the same street as me, uh, Jim Young, uh, I mean, we... we you know, we just grew up as children together, but we were also sexually abused together at the same time with his teacher. And at age 25, Jim ended up committing suicide from depression, and it was directly related to the, the abuse. And so the toll that that took on my life uh, when I went into high school and as a young adult, starting a career, living my life, getting married, everything I did, now looking back, was so dysfunctional uh, it's it's hard to believe that I would do the things I did and be the person that I was, and uh, it you know it, it led into uh, you know pornography, uh, and, and that started oh my goodness I was addicted to pornography when I was still in single digits, 
right? Like I was just a, a very young boy. So was that part of the grooming process? Were you showing pornography as part of that? Do you remember? I do. And that's a whole another weird thing is that that was never part of the grooming process. However, my my father, when I was when I was, I'm guessing maybe 10 years old, eight, nine, 10 years old. We used to go snowmobiling together, and uh, one of my best friends lived down the lake. And we went we went there one one uh, one evening, and all the all the men were having a drinking party and whatnot, and they were watching uh, a porno. And there I was, like eight years old, watching an extremely graphic, hardcore pornography movie, and I'll I'll never remember watching it in total confusion. I just didn't understand what was going on. Like what, what was, I was so confused. And I mean, that's just, you know, th those images and that trauma uh, just seriously impacted all the rest of my life. So none of the other abusers used pornography in, in their grooming process. Um, it was all touching and feeling and, and um, trust and love and care and friendship and all those things, but just, as a happenstance, my father, um, you know, if you can imagine looking back on it, I'm thinking as a father, if I had my child there, I mean, I would be, even if, even if I was addicted to pornography or whatever, I'd be getting my kid out of there like so fast. It was unbelievable. Yeah. But he was, he was broken himself. Right. So I don't hold it against my dad. He was broken himself and I'm sure he was paralyzed and didn't know what to do and was in fear and, 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 just didn't do anything. So there I was. Um, so that's that. Yeah. And, and he always had pornographic magazines around the house that were hidden and I always found them. And, you know, this was when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old when I regularly started looking at that. And, you know, that's what, when I'm in remote Aboriginal communities, um, we had a thing here um, a few years ago where in the Northern Territory, for five years, pornography was supposedly banned. Um, because it was because of overcrowding, if the adults were watching it, they don't realize that um, if children are seeing it, that that's child abuse. And so I go into yes. a community saying, Did you know now that the intervention's finished, if anybody's watching porn and kids are in the room, that's the same as somebody touching a child's private parts? And I have elders coming up saying, Holly, we didn't know. They're not using it as an excuse. Yeah. Unless we do education around this sort of yes. stuff. It's like you didn't know that that touching wasn't normal. And so, um, you know, the other thing that I'm coming across also is um, I was up in a remote community just recently and I met with the police on the way home back to Perth and I, there was a lot of child-to-child -child sexual abuse going on. And I said to the police, you know, how are these older children getting to the younger children? And they're showing them porn but when the police find out about it, all the children can say is, he's being gay with me because they don't have the words. They don't know anything else to describe it. So yeah. for me, it's so reaffirming that our program gives kids really clear rules. Nobody's allowed to touch your private parts. It's your special part. If somebody did, it wouldn't be your fault. But, but kids need to know the boundaries around this stuff. I mean, a perfect example was I don't know if you saw the documentary about the um, gymnastics, um, the U.S. Gymnastics Association. Oh, yes. And, you know, 
500 girls he sexually abused, but they didn't realize they were being sexually abused. I just thought it was part of the medical procedure. So if we're not clear with children, then, you know, it's not their job to keep themselves safe. It is adults' jobs. But, you know, they're the last line of defense and we need to be clear with them around that sort of stuff. You know, I like what we were saying, you know, before we started our conversation here um, and recording, is that, um, you know, ed- educating people and informing people is, is the most powerful thing we can do. And, you know, when these things happen, you know, it, it it's, I think it's where justice is, is due, then justice should be pursued. But at some point, the human aspect has to come into it. And, you know, I forgive my my father for what he did. I forgive my grandfather for what he did. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went to visit my grandfather on his deathbed and told him that I remembered everything that he had did to me, that he had done to me, and 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 specifically told him how it destroyed my life, and how I told him I, I told him you know you're a very bad man. I said, but you know what? I don't know how you grew up, and. Um, all I know is that that you weren't born deciding to do what you did to me and my dad and everybody else. And I can't imagine that you feel, you feel great about it. And you could nobody had ever confronted him in his life, ever. And because I wasn't doing it in anger, yeah. right? But I was being direct. You could see the countenance on his face. You know, it's like being, you're, 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 he's caught, right? And and he, he, had, he didn't say a word. And... You know, I just said, you know, Grandpa. All I know is that when you when you die, I, I believe you're going to go to heaven. And I asked him if he believed going to heaven. I asked him if he believed in, in in the Bible and God and stuff like that. And he said yes. And I said, well, just just do do me a favor and do yourself a favor before you close your eyes for the last time. Ask the Lord to forgive you. I said because I believe I'm going to see you in heaven. And I'm going to see you just the way you were created to be, and that's how I'm going to be as well. And I would love to see you there. And uh, it was a powerful, powerful moment. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying all, all, all victims or survivors should do something like that. Everybody needs to pursue their, their healing in, in their own way. I mean, my one abuser, who's my next door neighbor, I, I've never confronted him. Um, to be honest with you, I'm, 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 I'm afraid to, right? So it's, it's okay to be, you know, to pursue your healing in your, in your time and in your, in your pace. It just so happened that that, moment with my grandfather it worked for me and it was just it was right and um you know and my father has uh, he passed away a number of years ago so it's you know i have the benefit of being able to speak openly about you know about that because he's gone and if he was alive today I, it might be different so my heart goes out to people who are in situations where family members are still alive and 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 that's a whole different more difficult situation yeah yeah was the teacher ever charged so that's why I'm making the documentary about this. He was charged. He actually confessed to what he did to me and to, I think, six other boys. Uh, and I knew, I knew nothing about this. And sadly, he only got five years for each one of us and got to serve everything concurrently. And so he was out in five years. No. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I decided to uh, file a lawsuit because in the province of British Columbia, thank God, there's no statute of limitations. Yeah. And uh, that's, this is also something else that each survivor needs to decide on their own if that's a course of action that you want to pursue. And um, I, I pursued it for one reason only, and that was for my own healing, right? 
And although that was my motive, what was interesting is, is how much bullying I received uh, from people uh, and what I thought were friends that I grew up with. And they, they were commenting on things like, oh, it must be nice to be in your 50s and just, you know, go for some big jackpot in a lawsuit so you don't have to worry about retirement. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? And um, anyway, that's a whole different story. I, that's a whole different story. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much an anti-bullying advocate as well. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I, I, uh, he did, he did go, get away with, with all of that and only did five years. And I think, I think he confessed like he did because he knew that five years is nothing compared to what he would have got if he had got charged for everything. Yeah. And so, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going after this. And I went after the school board at the same time. That was in 2018, so it's not that long ago. Wow. You know, people see, like, you know, because I know that was Canada, but people see these huge, um, you know, prison sentences in the US. Um, you know, here in Australia, you know, if you get 18 months, we think we've done well. Um, yeah. And, you know, quite often, especially if it's child exploitation material, they're not even, they're getting a suspended sentence. Yes. And, you know, I've, I've seen cases where judges have said that child exploitation, oh, that's a victimless crime. Hold on. Every image is a crime scene. <laughs> yes. You know, it's just, um, or, you know, they're a non-contacting offender and, and things like that. So um, the big thing I'm seeing here in Australia at the moment too is the way the media are covering this. You know, um, they had non-consensual sex. There was no such thing as non-consensual sex, <laughs> right? And yet they're playing it down. And, you know, until the media yeah. take responsibility and, um, you know, and, and the judicial system, you know, we've yeah. just in this last week, we've had some really ridiculous cases come down where, you know, they haven't gone to jail and things like that. And there's been outrages. Um, you know, kids are suffering and yeah. yet as adults we're not stepping up for them and it just breaks my heart yes yes this statute of limitations business uh, really drives me crazy here in the u.s because i live in denver now you know when i when i first started doing this i decided to do my lawsuit publicly you know that's a huge step in itself because i knew i was stepping into a world that i had no idea what that would be like because i felt you know i'm afraid and ashamed and vulnerable and scared and like what you know what am i doing i just felt it was it was the right thing to do and you know, if this is what my life has come to, then why why hide it? What, what about the other boys? What about my friend Jim who killed himself? What, what about these men? And so after getting this started and it came out in the media and the newspapers and whatnot, I began to become bombarded with men that I used to go to, high, the, I used to, go to elementary school with and saying, hey, do you remember me? Do you remember that time? Do you remember when we were all, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Well, it's, it's screwed up my life too. And they would begin sharing their stories and that's, where I got the inspiration to do Me Too, What Now? And because Me Too, uh, uh, you know, the phrase is, was not invented with the Me Too movement. The Me Too, the Me Too phrase has been around much longer than that. And it's been, it's a phrase that identifies survivors of childhood sexual abuse specifically. It's been used for many years, both men and women. And I thought, oh, that's a great phrase to use. And with, with so much swirl going on around, you know, what, what, what survivors are dealing with, and, you know, and how angry they are, which they have the right to be angry. And, and with, the, with the confusion and, and the injustice in the media, my, my question was like, okay, as a survivor, what are, you, what are you going to do now? Like, what do you do now? Just stay in this, 
in this place of of victimization or so how do you move on like what do you do now and and so that's where me too what now came from and i just thought uh for myself when i looked at all the information that's out there from different organizations nonprofits for profits anywhere to get my hands on you know like what is this cptsd that i have what is what are the effects of sexual abuse on on a child that's from 0 to 3 years old and 3 to 6 and 6 to 9 and 9 to 12 physiologically and psychologically in your brain different things happen that affect you through your whole life and i'm studying this stuff and i'm like oh my gosh i see why i've led the life that i have so it didn't take long for me to get overwhelmed with the information and to be honest with you i got I got bored with the information. It was just I needed to shut it off and uh watch the football game or hockey because I'm Canadian. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, is that I wanted to create something where survivors would find it interesting, um informative, um uh, funny. Can I create something that that I felt maybe survivors would return to on a regular basis? Now I've 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 been to conferences and I've met the founder of 1in6.org here in the United States and Darkness to Light and huge uh, nonprofit organizations that advocate in this space and when I have all these conversations and I tell them this the response I get is has been the same from everybody they're like yeah you know we should we're thinking about doing something different with social media too we need to like diversify what we're doing and what not and I thought hmm if these guys are thinking of it and they have multi-million dollar budgets then I'm going to just keep doing it uh for myself and i want i wanted i wanted survivors to keep coming back and just revisiting it and and hopefully calling me connecting with me emailing me sending me a direct message facetime zoom and that's what i've done for the last two and a half years of me too what now like like i don't have any downloadable resources on my on my website there's no courses you can take no coaching i offer it's just me putting myself out there telling my story interviewing other survivors mental health care professionals i i do lifestyle vlogging and i do comedic outtakes of the stuff that didn't work and i i'm not doing it to be popular but i'm doing it for survivors to go wow this guy is he's uh you know he's moving on in his life and it's a uh, i want to subscribe <laughs> to this channel and come back and to you know, show I'm, them that it doesn't have to define you it's not you know it happened to you but it's right. not who you are and it's not you know you don't wear it as a coat sort of thing it's, it's no and you can have some joy in your life i mean it's there's there's hard and i had someone say to me recently well i don't know if it's such a good idea to glamorize this and i said glamorize you've obviously seen probably one video i would imagine right because my intro video is pretty perky it's pretty upbeat and i'm out speaking and traveling and there's video and it's up you know it's fast paced and cool music but have you clicked on any of the survivor stories have you clicked on any of where i'm sharing my story have you clicked on you know where i'm where it's not glamorizing i'm trying to just make it an oasis for survivors really nobody else because i'm not that concerned with what anybody else thinks about it um however this this for 2021 is going to be a different story i'm writing content now because my tagline is find yourself live yourself give yourself and uh, that's the that's the five steps to trauma recovery kind of condensed into my own my own uh version of what that's like so i want to uh well I'm, i'm i'm creating content like what is it what does it mean to find your identity like what does it mean to lose your identity and then how do you live that how do you live this new identity how do you live as a genuine person and then and then i i believe as you heal and become less inwardly focused and become more outwardly focused that you naturally start to give 
in, in, in life. And it doesn't mean starting a nonprofit or speaking, but, but your, your outward world will change as you, you, you are more aware of your, of the people around you and, and your life becomes something that you, you, you give and it's a wellspring and you, you actually have value in, in the world. And so that's what find yourself, live yourself, give yourself is. And um, so everything's going is, is going undergoing a massive change for next year. Uh, and my YouTube content is going to be teaching this as well. And, um, you know, I got, I'm starting TikTok and I'm, and I'm uh, working on my documentary and uh, I'll be vlogging that and pulling uh, followers into that journey of, uh, wow, this guy's making a documentary on this. And I've got some crazy footage that I've captured for that. And uh, so the whole idea is to create a place that's, that's, that's safe and interesting and valuable for survivors that um, they, they can't find anywhere else. And everything else is good. I'm not saying these other organizations, it's not bad information. It's all good information. It's just, this is just a little more variety. It's not just people telling their stories or listening to a professional talk about the, the detriments of uh, the effects of, of, of this. So I'm just a lay person doing what I can to, to help other people. And uh, it it's, seems to be working. I started YouTube two and a half years ago. And I'm not a, I've never done film before or video. And, and uh, I am uh, almost at 20,000 uh, minutes of views. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. And um, that just means it's, it's working. And to get, to get that amount of views and that amount of time on this topic, I think is, is um, uh, a, a sign that it's, there's, there's good things that are coming out of it. If you found this content helpful, please share with your friends and family. Leave us a review and subscribe to this podcast. For more information about the Safer Kids program and resources, please visit www.saferkids.com.au and follow Holly Ann on Facebook at Safe for Kids. I noticed on your um, website you've got, um, we need to talk more about child sexual abuse. Um, you said it's had 80 million, and I went on and it's got 85 million. Um, well, you know, I just updated it because it used to say, uh, I didn't update it for like since last year. It was like 70 million back then. And I, I wanted to confirm the data. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's now it's now 80 million. But 85. I don't think we're talking about it enough. It's, you know, there are no, supposedly not. 85 million, but it's not these genuine, you know, conversations and, you know, and I'm, I'm so inspired by what you're doing because we need more men to talk about this sort of stuff because yes. the stigma around, um, you know, in the communities that I work, um, you know, if it happened to boys, they wouldn't tell because they they think people think I'm gay or will I turn into a pedophile? Oh, yes, yes, All yes. of these complexities that as a woman we don't understand, yes. you know, what it's like for a man. So to have men talking about this... Um, you know, I'm just so grateful that you're in this space and, you know, what you're doing in your quirky style, I think will yes. really resonate with people. Yeah, thank you, uh, because I'm, I'm certainly not trying to make light of it. Uh, the goal is really, it's, is I'm trying to live out what my, what my, what my, um, my mission is, right, is to live with power, identity and purpose. And uh, I know that they're the, the real Ed Squires got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, man, I, I love having fun. I, I was known as Crazy Eddie growing up in, in high school. And, it's, you know, I just enjoy life. And I don't want to, I'm not going to change that and become something else. Uh, even if I'm, even, even if I'm uh, promoting and advocating in, this, in a space that's difficult, 
how there's got to be a way I can still be myself and 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 still deal with the issues. And you know, when it comes to men, um, you know, I you know, I used to work in corporate America. I used to make a six-figure uh, income as a as a high-end consultant for Fortune 500 and global companies in the United States, Canada, and Europe. I've worked for uh, like uh, the Boeing Corporation and, and uh, uh, major pharmaceutical companies in, in Europe and this really big stuff. And I didn't look like this when I was in the corporate world, right? I was clean cut, wore expensive suits and expensive watch and everything was expensive. And I looked the, looked apart, but I also, you know, that's the work that I did. And then when that went away, I was like, like, who am I really? Like, I, you know, I discovered that I was doing that because it made a lot of money. And it also gave me a chance to tell people what I did. And it's a really sexy sounding career. And oh, look at me. And I didn't realize my identity was wrapped up in that job. So when it went away and people asked me, oh, what do you do? I wasn't prepared to give an answer. And I found myself a little befuddled because, I, you know, I was I was in recovery. I lost my job. I was I was on disability. And there, there, the answer was, I don't do anything. I mean, I thought about it, I, I don't do anything. I recover, I'm learning how to meditate. I'm learning how to process, I'm learning how to heal. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally doing nothing. So I, that's what I started telling people. Well, what do you do? And I said, oh, I, I do nothing. <laughs> Is that a mask, do you think, to suppress what had, what had happened to you as a child or? Oh, no, no question, no question. Because, well, I wasn't afraid of telling people what happened to me as a child. That was, I was always outspoken about that. But here's the thing I find about men is, is I like digging beneath the surface, right? It's great that I was open and I was unashamed to talk about the offenses that happened to me, but I never talked about what that caused me to do in my life. And what ended up, what that caused me to do in my life was uh, I was a leader in my church uh, at, at, when I was, you know, in my, uh, in my late teens and early 20s. But I also began to experiment with paying for sex at the same time, going to massage parlors. I would I would go to church and then go to a massage parlor right after that. And, and I can't tell you the, the guilt and the shame and, and how horrible that, that I felt, yet I couldn't stop. And I continued to do that through my marriage. I continued to do that for the next few decades. And that's how come I, I, I got involved with an organization called uh, Shift Freedom that advocates for uh, um, they're anti-child sex trafficking and, and sex slavery. And there's a whole part of my story that involves that as well, which this is a, for an, another time. But I'm not ashamed to talk about that either. But the effects that this had on me, and for me to think all that time that uh, that it was okay, so, somehow it was okay, is, is astonishing, right? So when, it finally, when I finally realized, oh, these are not good things to do, <laughs> Right, that's when my life came crashing down in 2012, and I thought, "Wow, what a pile of you know what that I am." That stuff I never talked about. So that's why whenever, like, I introduce myself to men, I was on a call yesterday, first time I ever talked to the guy. He has a he has a huge podcast. He's a leader in social media. Uh, he had heard about me through whatever we connected, and you know, he said, "Tell me about yourself." And I always like to lead off with men that I have a nonprofit, advocate for survivors of childhood sexual abuse. You know, you know, part of the, you know, one of the one of the uh, impacts that's had on my life is that pornography has always been a challenge for me, and and uh, you know, I've been, a, you know, addict. You know, I'm I'm a recovering addict, and I have been for years, and and then I stop, and the majority of the time, whoever I'm talking to, 
and as this as this fellow did, he said, well, you know what? He said, that's something that's really had an impact on my marriage too. And that's something I'm dealing with, right? So as soon as I tell my story, and even when it comes to things like prostitution, hiring, paying for sex and whatnot, you know, the number of men that are doing that is, 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 is astonishing. But as soon as you talk about it, no, and no man feels good about doing these things, right? Uh, that I, I found what men, they, they open up and they talk. And for me, all yeah, that, that, that gives me like total satisfaction and reason to live is for when men feel free and comfortable to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having the same problem and they trust me with their story and, and, and I can provide anything to help them. And usually it's in the form of a friendship or relationship of some kind. So was that on his podcast that he, he opened up or was it? Oh, no, no. This is, a, this is a, like a meet and greet on Zoom. Like, hey, my yeah. name's Ed. Your name's John. How are you? Tell me about yourself. And then boom. And this this happens regularly. You know, I had, a, had another guy. And actually, I like asking men. You know, I asked this one guy um, when I told him I had, you know, the pornography addiction. And he said, yeah, that, that used to be a problem in my life too. And as soon as a man says that used to be a problem in my life, to me, that says, I'm still doing it, <laughs> right? So I, I, I just come right out and I said, you know what? I said, John, of course, his name is not John. I said, John, let me ask you a question. I said, when was the last time you looked at pornography? Just like, boom, right? Straight out there. Because I've had men, you know, when, it, when men first started asking me this, when I, went, when I was in recovery, I couldn't help but tell the truth. Or if I didn't tell the truth, they could tell I was lying. That's a hard thing to, to, to cover when you're asked man to man, when was the last time you looked at pornography? And he looked at me and he said, this morning. And now, now he's like in recovery from it and he wants to start a Facebook group on, and on, you know, how to get out of porn. And, and so we just need to talk, talk and tell stories, talk and tell stories. And if you're willing to do it on camera, I'm willing to, to, to capture that, that, that conversation and, 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 and get it out there. And, and there's healing and telling your story. Not everybody has to do it on video, but if that's something you like to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. And, and that's been the most successful uh, videos on my channel is survivors telling their stories. And there's not a lot of them, but the ones that are there just are really powerful. Yeah, I, I, I can't commend you enough for this because, you know, men, I mean, women, you know, we talk about stuff all the time to each other. But, you know, when you look at the male suicide rate, you talk about the, the shame around all of this sort of stuff. And it's, you know, we need to stop naming, blaming and shaming. And that's, I, I've yes. done 62 workshops with solely Aboriginal men in remote communities. And the stuff the men tell me, you know, a culturally, they, they shouldn't be telling me a lot of the stuff that they do. But here for the first time is this woman speaking so openly, just like we're doing now. And it's like a, you know, a breath of fresh air to them. And they just, oh yes, they just dump it and they need to, because otherwise, Yes. You know, if, if they know that you won't judge them and, you know, I've, I've, I've been told about cultural stuff that, you know, I know it's a huge privilege because I shouldn't know about this stuff, but it's just a release for the men because they've been holding yeah. it for so long. Oh my gosh. They don't realise yes. how toxic it is. Yes, yes, yes. I have one video on my channel. It's the most popular one. And it's the longest one I ever made. It's like 17 minutes long. And his name is Neil Wieger. And he's uh, like 65, 66. And it's, it's the first time he ever told his story. And um, he was sexually abused by another boy when he was really young. And the result of that was porn addiction for the rest of his life. And the backstory that he told off camera, and I know he wouldn't mind 
me sharing this, but but it, 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 he was so afraid because of just the impact that it was having on his family. Yeah. And then he was afraid that telling his story on camera would have even a greater impact. And he prepared them for it. And, and they asked, they supported him in it, but having never heard him say it, right? To a third party. Um, I got to tell you, it was, it, it's a powerful video and, and it changed his life and it, it has repaired the relationship with his family and his son. And it's been, you know, I mean, Neil is like, we, he, he loves me, man. And I love him. Right. Cause he just, he just can't believe it. I'm like, Neil, you're like, you're like the most popular. You got more views. You got more, you're all, it's everything you Neil. And you know, it's, 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 he is anytime he gets a chance to speak and tell his story, he, he does. And, and uh, I can't wait for him to have him on my podcast. He's excited to do that. And just to see his life change. And he's, you know, he leads a, an, he leads a porn recovery group um, in our church. Well, he did before COVID, but he'll be picking that up again. But just to see just the impact of one man's story coming out and telling. And it doesn't, even, doesn't have to be on video, but the impact that's had on his family and friends and the, our community has been, you know, it's like eternal. It's going to keep going on and on and on. Uh, it's... it's um, I, I'm really, really big into having men tell their story and, and just telling your story. Yeah, no, definitely. Before I let you go, um, because I, I'm trying to create the most up-to-date current resources, um, I'm at the moment trying to do some stuff around grooming um, and also I, I talk about a lot about consent and things, but especially around the grooming, what... As a child, now it's hard to, in hindsight, it's hard to say, but what as a child might have helped you disclose what was happening to somebody? Can you think, um, you know, if there was really clear messages, because, you know, one of the things we talk about in our program is we have a safety team of people you can talk to. Um, we can talk, we say we can talk about anything. And yet, you know, some parents yell at their kids and then say, well, you can talk to me about anything. Because like parents say to me all the time, Holly, if anything happened to my child, they would tell me. Say, they bloody will not tell you. Let me tell you. They won't tell you. No, they won't. And so what might a teacher, not the terrible one, but what might a teacher or what might a message might have helped you? Can you think Well, of- thanks, thanks to the work you're doing and that Feather Burkauer is doing, a dear friend of mine here in Colorado. How we there? Bless her. You guys teach. You guys teach this. And what you teach is what people need to know. So, so children need to be taught body safety. As weird and awkward as that sounds, it's much easier and less awkward to hear about that than it is to hear, like one day my mom and I were doing dishes, I'm drying dishes, and I just said, oh, well, you know I was abused by, by, by granddad, right? I thought she knew. I thought she knew. And she didn't know, and she just dropped the dishes, dishes and she panicked, like, what? So if you think talking about child body safety, meaning, you know, the, a child's body is their own, their private parts are their own, and they can say no to anyone that, that, that approaches them, touches them, that makes them feel uncomfortable. And, and you make sure that they, you develop a relationship with them that's not, hey, my kid can come to me anytime, but you make darn sure that you, you are confident that they actually are coming to you. Now, I had uh, attended a workshop that Feather led um, last year, and uh, she had a, a daughter and, and uh, father come at the end of the workshop and share their testimony of how 
because they were taught this and they had developed this kind of a relationship at an early age, she was uh, approached by a, a pedophile with some of his grooming techniques. And she, by herself, was able to defend herself. And it wasn't like, like it wasn't like uh, physically, but she knew what this guy was doing. Yeah. Right. And and she was able to push push back on that and tell her parents. And then her parents did the right thing by contacting the the uh, authorities and the, and the and the school that's that's what needs to happen so that when when these things happen like i think back to you know all the times i was abused if i was able to go to my mom and dad even at a really young age and say you know this happened today right this happened today granddad said this was a secret you told me there are no secrets right because they trust you because you've 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 built that with them, you don't just say, "Oh, my kids trust me." No, you do the work to build that trust. Then they can come to you and say, "Well, something happened today, and I, this was weird." That's yeah. so. We need you, and, and we need rather we need more people educating parents and teachers and authorities and um, um, uh, children and community leaders on on, on what this stuff means. Um, so. It's kind of a long answer to your question. No, no, it's perfect because, you know, the amount of parents that say, hey, if anything happened to my child, they'll tell me, or it will never happen to my child because I'm a good parent. You know, I'm always there, not realizing that about 45% of child sexual abuse is either children to children or teenagers on children. You're not at school with them. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's never going to be their child. My child would never look at pornography. Well, your child doesn't need to go looking for it. It's going to find them. Getting parents along to parent workshops, for me, to be honest, is the bane of my life. They just think it's never going to happen to my child. So, you know, what you've said about, you know, we need teachers on board, we need parents on board, we need the community on board to have that wrap around so that everybody's using this language because even if they're just using this language, as you know, people that prey on children know which children to target. They know the children oh, yes. that are vulnerable yes. and that will keep the secret and things like that because of the grooming process. So, you know, and I think uh, a lot of I think a lot of parents think of a pedophile as some some really nasty looking guy who hasn't showered for you know uh, as long as we've been in COVID, right? And uh, you know has his pants hanging down and his shirt tail hanging out, and he's like looking for kids. Well, my teacher was a we all loved him. He yeah. was funny. He looked like a he looked like Bozo the Clown. Actually, he had red hair that was puffed out on the side, and he had this amazing train track in his basement. It's a train setup. It was like an antique that paper mache mountains and everything. Well, invited us boys over to play with the train set. Well, we loved it, and of course, we told our parents, "Oh, we're going to Diakou's house to look at the train set." And they're like, "Oh, that sounds nice." Of course, while we're there, he's he's uh, molesting us. Do you think we told anybody about that? No, we didn't tell anybody. But if my parents had a taught me i would have come home saying the train set was great but you know what you touched my private parts yeah yeah right and so a, a pedophile is 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 not going to look like what you think and 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 you may have a problem because they seem like a really nice person but i mean when my, when my parents heard that our next door neighbor did this to me that is astonished right that this could happen and so you know Take your course, everybody. Take and feathered in Colorado, get educated, right, and protect your children. Don't don't think it could never happen to you. 
Never ever think that. And then when you do get abused, guess what you do? You become a professional person at hiding secrets. My wife never knew it. My, my, I, w- I pretended I was a Christian all the time. And I mean, just nobody knew for, for, for decades until I, I came out of it. And, and people could not believe that I would do those things. And, and, and so can you imagine that, that just rotting you from the inside for, your, for decades of your life because you weren't taught or educated or made aware. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm told to wear my seatbelt when and why and the, the reasons for it. I'm told to wear a helmet when I ride my motorcycle. Well, I don't like wearing a helmet. It looks goofy, right? Well, well you know, it, don't think it can't happen to you because all it takes is a slip. It's the same with this and probably even more so. Ed, I cannot thank you enough. I'm so blessed that Feather, um, yeah, we met through Feather and, and to have her in my life and now you in my life is, is um, I'm just really, really glad that we've all hooked up. We're a big world, but with the internet, fortunately, we can all learn from each other. So yes. bless you. Thank you for this. And um, yeah, I'll keep watching the squirrel, watch Ed's squirrel <laughs> videos on TikTok. Oh, well, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, providing the platform, giving me the opportunity to speak and just for sharing. Uh, I know that every time we do this, um, people that advocate in this space, you know, lives get changed. And, and if one life gets changed, for me, it's, it's worth all the time we spent. So I, I thank you and just, I really look up to what you've done uh, and what you do. I'm like, wow, uh, I just make videos and talk. Um, I, I'm looking forward to really raising the bar for me too, what now in 2021. And, um, you know, uh, helping more people. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. The primary goal of this podcast is to provide awareness for the safety of kids and your well-being. If any of the content of this podcast raises concerns or questions for you, please talk to a trusted family member, a friend, or consult a professional for additional support.